Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. Oh my god. Oh. I, had, I had so much fun at the Milwaukee Paranormal <laughs> Conference this weekend. Oh man. And the reason I, I did too. The reason I had to say oh my god like that was because on Saturday night at three o'clock in the morning we were watching Ghost Adventures. And I feel Oh that's right. And I feel like that's Zach Baggins' only line. He's like, Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. That was fun because it was after we had played at the Milwaukee Paranormal Convention Jabberwockies Ball. That's right. Which was their big party on Saturday night in the Alice in Wonderland Jabberwocky theme. And we got back to the hotel, ordered a pizza, and put the TV on. And it was a Ghost Adventures. Yeah, it was a Ghost Adventures. And the uh, episode was where they were at the Viper Room in Los Angeles. So I oh, thought yeah. that was very appropriate for our night. <laughs> yes, it was. And so that was just it was just fun. And the Milwaukee Paranormal Conference was a really good time. Allison kicked it off on Sunday morning with a presentation on Milwaukee Fortiana. She rocked it. Yeah, she did a really good job. And um, she talked about things that are near and dear to my heart, like the Horicon haunting of 1987 and Theophilus Riesinger, the was the Appleton, Wisconsin-based exorcist who did like, I mean, he did like 20-some exorcisms. And so he's like an exorcist superhero. Yeah. And one other cool story that I hadn't heard before was about one of the priests who did the exorcism uh, on the like the Richard Rowe exorcism, which is the one that the exorcist is actually based on that happened in St. Louis in the 1940s. One of the priests there ended up dying in Milwaukee and people have seen his ghost. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, that's a fun. Like, it was just stuff. Was so uh, I encourage you to see Allison's presentation at these Milwaukee uh, and any of these paranormal conventions that she's speaking at. So shout out to her and then shout out to Tobias from Singular Fortean. He had a, a Chicago Mothman panel. Yes. And also shout out to everyone we met at our booth. Yes. Met lots of people, gave away lots of free uh, see you on the other side buttons. And it was a really fun time, as it always is at these conferences, because you meet people who are interested in the kinds of unique topics that we love. Yeah, I really thought it was a good time. And it's always nice. See, this is the last paranormal conference we're probably going to go to this year. So for me, this is like we're not going to see these weirdos again for a long time. Sad face. Yeah. So anyway. Well. We had fun in our panel, Mike. You did a great job leading the Haunted Road Trip panel. Thank you. Haunted Road Trip. That was all about places that you can go to like in the day, like driving distance from the Milwaukee area we were talking about. But um, Wendy was on it. Our friend Scott Marcus from whatsyourghoststory.com. Shelly from the old Baraboo Inn. OBI. She talked about OBI. Wendy talked about haunts in Waukesha. Scott talked about stuff in Northern Illinois that people could visit. And I talked about stuff that you could see uh, just if you were driving out to Madison. Right. And if you're in the Waukesha area, I will be guiding a couple tours coming up uh, this Friday, the 20th and the 27th. Oh, yeah. And you can also go and see the other guide, Erin. She's awesome on the Saturdays. So there's lots of ghosts. I mean, Halloween, we're still two weeks from Halloween here. So let's let's not get carried away that just because we're not going to any paranormal conventions this year. All the fun isn't over yet. Doesn't mean that Halloween is over whatsoever. That's right. Anyway, so it was a really good weekend. Um, we played our paranormal set a couple of times. We had a handful of sunspot shows this weekend as well, which was 
Yes. It's always fun. Yeah, we did. We we played with Third Eye Blind in the Wisconsin Dells last night. And that was fun. Uh, they, had a, they had a really oh, cool stage set up and everything like that. Of course, we come up like, we don't get to use their lights or anything. So it basically was a couple of flashlights on us as we played. Um, <laughs> and they had the your full production. But they really, I thought it was a good energetic show. And we met a lot of nice people. So anybody that we met actually at the show. Yes. In the Dells too. Shout out to you for being awesome shout outs to everybody we got a shout out to everybody now the shout out this week our guest contacted us met her through twitter and she's a a paranormal author and she writes books based on true stories some stories that she's investigated and reported some stories that have happened to her and her friends yeah so in this interview we go into the weird paranormal things that have happened to her and happened to people she knows and then like we use our experiences and and discussions as fodder for songs she uses her experiences and investigations as fodder for novels well after talking to so many people with so many cool experiences at these conferences it'll be neat to hear an author's perspective and her experiences so why don't we bring on the interview joining us today is thriller and supernatural suspense author L. Sidney Fisher. Her new book is called The Devil's Board, and it's inspired by true events. Welcome to see you on the other side, Sydney. How are you doing today? Hi. Hi, Mike. I'm doing great. Thank you. Awesome. Now, to give us some context and everything, where, so I'm talking if, in Madison, Wisconsin, where are we talking, where are you talking from right, right now? I am in North Mississippi. I am in Elvis Presley country, the well, birthplace of Elvis Presley. Ah, the birthplace of the king. All right. You haven't had any Elvis ghost stories yourself, had you? No, I wish I had some to tell. <laughs> I wish you did too. I was, he's great. I was, <laughs> we were just talking about, you know, people seeing Elvis and stuff. Um Oh, no, that would be great. Well, now, I will tell you that here in um, Tupelo, in the birthplace of Elvis Presley, there people travel from all over the world because they they claim that they do feel his spirit um, near where the birthplace is. And and I have visited there many times myself, and I can understand why people say that. So um, it has a very nice feel to it. Okay, so... Uh, that well, that is an interesting energy, though. That that you know, that cult of celebrity that people will come. You know, they feel like they know Elvis. I mean, Elvis died when I was one year old. And I feel like I know Elvis. Well, he um, and you know the funny thing about it, I, I hear people talk about him and they associate uh, Elvis and and where he lived and all with Graceland in Memphis, Tennessee. And I right. tell them, but you're but you're missing a very important part of this man's life and his entire foundation. If you do not travel ninety miles. Um, East, southeast, uh, to visit the birthplace because that's where it all started. And he's re- he was really just a he was a very poor country boy, just a southern boy. And um, once you once you visit here and you really get uh, the entire message of his humble beginnings, that's when you start to realize what his what motivated him as an adult, his generosity, and all of those things. And Elvis was a very spiritual person. Oh yeah. So, and when you get into learning about his life here, and he was brought up in a church environment, always, um, it it all it just answers a lot of questions. It just 
you know, is just makes so much sense. It's like sure. connecting the dots. So well, I think that segues into something we're talking about how where you were born, where you grew up and that place um, in Mississippi where you are had, I mean, that had an effect on the king of rock and roll. What kind of effect did it have on uh, a supernatural suspense author like yourself? Well, it's really, I always tell people, you know, they, I, I do get asked that a lot, and I tell them, you know, we're not born believing in ghosts. I just do not believe that anyone is born believing in ghosts. Um, it usually, you're, you're, what you think about or the way that your belief system is transformed uh, by experiences, and mine started at a very young age. Um, I will tell you, though, that I've always enjoyed writing since I was about eight years old, since, you know, as as young as I was at eight years old, as soon as I could get a library card, I was in the library and I was checking out books, and uh, for some reason, um, the whole paranormal thing um that was it, it drew you in I, I, yes it drew me into that based on some unusual experiences that i had as a little girl and being around a family the very first book that i had out was called the haunting of natalie bradford when i was around that family and th- that 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 story is based on that is where i had my first experiences with the paranormal or exposure to it let's go into that real quick so let's okay. let's set the setting so when you were around that family, was this when you were, you know, just decided to be an author or something? Or was this when, like, you were a kid and you had an experience and then later on you decided to write about? Let's kind of unpack and, and talk about. So if your first book, The Haunting of, of Natalie Bradford, you said? Correct. Okay. So let's, let's set the stage a little bit, uh, how you had your first paranormal experience with this family. I had my first paranormal experience as a child visiting um, the family. And uh, the house was haunted uh, by more than one entity. And um, it, you know, have you, have you, how you sometimes feel when you um, sense somebody looking at you and, and you can't explain how that happens. But there were a lot of moments like that as a child. There were also moments where doors and things would open and close on their own. We witnessed those. There's no explanation for it. And it's very frightening. So being in a home like that where you're friends with one of the children that lives there that is going through all of this, and you witness these things for yourself, mm-hmm. That's where it began, and then you go and you start going, but, you know, how can this be? And, you know, you're taught one thing in church, and I grew up in a, in a um, you know, a church home as well. And so you're looking for explanations, and so that is how that uh, I ended up at the library and reading all of this for so long. And then it's just, it's it's grown into years and years, Mike, of experiences that seem to almost, I feel as if it's leading me. It's not something that I'm necessarily choosing to do. It's, it's very strange. It feels as if it's some sort of destiny. And even when I get away from wanting to write about maybe in other genres or get away from the ghost type themes and everything, I always come back. <laughs> it, so, and, I, and that's the thing. Maybe you are being led. Like we said, you were you were drawn to those paranormal books in the library, and that's a story I hear from like all these different authors and and people who are into this stuff. It's like, well, I just I saw that subject and something about it, I just fascinated me, and, and I wanted to get involved. 
So you're, uh, is it Natalie Bradford your friend's real name? It is not. Okay, I've, I would, you know, she's like, hey, you can't use that to make money. But the thing is, so your your friend, when did she start having, did she say like, hey, there's weird stuff going on in my house. You guys should come over and check it out. Or was it something like you have a sleepover and all of a sudden, um, you know, you feel a skeletal hand through the, you know, in the sleeping bag or, you know, what kind of things were you like, oh my God, this is my first experience and I can't believe uh, what's happening. No, the family had moved into this home. Um, the Natalie Bradford was the person that was being really haunted by the spirit of Liz Bradford. There was a murder that took place. Um, all of the names in the story have been changed. Sure. Um, the, the locations are the same. The same thing with the Devil's Board. The locations were changed some. Um, of course, some local people here, you know, uh, they can read the book, and some of them have have messaged me or whatever and and I never you know confirm anything but sure. they 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 say that they know but um the Natalie Bradford married Devin Bradford who actually had murdered his wife Liz Bradford about let's see and it's been several years since that book came out so I'm trying to remember to get my dates exactly right well I'm just trying to connect them to the experiences that you had that kind of verified the fact that yes. something weird is going on in this it, it, there's more than we know out there in the world there's more you know Absolutely. more more on heaven and earth Horatio right so when I first went over and and met some of the new family that was there uh, at the home there it was a large family it was a uh, you know, Natalie Bradford married into this this ready-made family, so to speak. Um, but she had two children, and of course, he had uh, six children. But one of them was two of those were not in the family, so or were not here locally in the home at Lindenwood, where the haunting took place. But um, you know, visiting over there, there was you know many different instances of doors slamming shut, and one particular time we were sitting all in the living room, and um, it seems like James had a friend over at that time, the best I remember, and the front door, which was shut um, and locked, while we're all watching television, it literally unlocked itself and opened, and he. The friend of James actually um, screamed, yelled out loud some obscenities and said, I'm getting the, the hell out of here, yeah, basically. Well, yeah. And so he ran out the door and we all kind of split at that moment. But it was, um, you know, it was very, it was very frightening to them as well to hear some of the things. But um, and there was a prophecy involved in that story. So it it's. That is that is one of those stories that I've always said that needs to be on the big screen. It really is. It's similar to, you know, it's uh, it's based in the South. Um, if you remember a story called Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil in Savannah, sure. Georgia, it, it's 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 that. It's Mississippi's Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil it has those elements in it. So it's very spooky and. Well, I mean, it's not like it sounds like we said. Did your friend's father murder his first wife? Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. You know, I don't want to spoil the book or anything like that, but like, so because of that, the family was just. I mean, do you think it was the spirit of that first wife well, who came he, back and messed with him? Like, hey, yes. you know, I don't like yes. your, I don't like your new yes. kids, pal. And thanks no. for killing me. Well, it was because the the murder was 
there was a murder trial, of course, but he was, uh, he got off. He got off. He he did not serve a day in prison for that. Uh, the first trial, he was convicted and for a, in, of manslaughter. It was all considered circumstantial evidence. And then, of course, he was sentenced to some time in prison, but then they uh, appealed it to the state Supreme Court. So there was a second trial. But I've, you know, the whole basis of him marrying Natalie Bradford, and she, Bradford, she got herself involved in a situation. That individual got herself involved in a situation that she really did not know what she was doing, I think. She just wanted to believe that this was her you know, knight in shining armor, that this was, uh, you know, going to be great for her. She was a single mother. And it just, it turned out that she goes, she moves into a home where there is a lot of paranormal activity that she had never even believed in. Sure. I mean, she had, didn't believe in that. And, and so, but there she was, she found herself a target of it. And then in the very end, there were a lot of prophetic type of coincidences that came to surface. And it was it was almost as if it was trying to she was trying to get some sort of revenge against the man that murdered her. And her grave was buried. She was buried directly across the street from Lindenwood. So every night. You could walk around the upstairs banister and you could look straight across. There was this huge window on the second floor and you could look straight across to the hill across the street. There was a cemetery there and you could see Liz Bradford's tombstone. Oh, man. And your friend, I mean, did, what kind of toll did it take on your friend to be in that kind of house? Or was, or was your friend happy to have a family finally or... Was happy to have a family that all of a sudden's unraveled by right. the, the extra addition. Oh yeah, the ex-wife's here too. She hates us. Never, you know. <laughs> no, a little of both. But the friend was very close to Natalie Bradford and her kids and all. So um, that particular friend was, you know, the, the, just a kid. You know, she was a couple of years older than me. So she was like ten years old. I was like eight. So there wasn't, you know, in a kid's mind. Um, she did not encounter, she encountered the things that I did. I mean, we were there together some, you know, playing and, and me visiting and whatnot. And so we saw uh, some of the witnessed some of the same type of paranormal events. But as far as the doors opening and closing and things like that, hearing voices, sometimes you would be downstairs in the den area and you could hear conversations. It was very, very, and it was always freezing cold. There was like three fireplaces in that home, and it was a large home, but never, never could get it warm. It was always cold. Um, but anyhow, and and her her sister also had died a year before her mom was murdered. So um, there were people seeing full bodied apparitions. It was it was insane. Well, and that's the thing. Like you know, most people that would be their ghost story for life. You know, like you said, like, okay, you know, I had this friend, uh, you know, whose who's stepfather ended up killing his first wife, and we think that first wife was was haunting the house. And I saw some weird stuff when I, came, I saw doors open, and people talked about seeing shadows walk through rooms or whatever, and weird noises. And, that, you know, that's one thing. And pe- most people, that's like, that would be the story of their entire life. Well, it happened to a friend. You know, crazy stuff happens when you're eight years old. But you said that was the first 
of your experiences? When was the next time you experienced something? And then you were like, hey, maybe there's more to this. And, uh, you know, I'm, I've been, this is the second time I've seen something like that. Well, once that, that was, you know, that particular experience was over and, and done with. And, and as I grew older, um, you know, it's not like this, these type of paranormal experiences happen every day. And to right. your list and to your listeners who um, have experienced the paranormal, they will agree that, you know, it doesn't happen all the time, but you may have yourself, you know, been a witness to it over a lifetime. So, um, you know, and I'm trying to remember, I, I do remember leaving that particular area and moving. And it was in another home where I also started to experience different things. It might have been, um, you know, hearing a voice or hearing slamming uh, sounds in the kitchen like that, that I just heard. <laughs> or uh, footsteps, um, footsteps that you uh, you have no explanation for it, and you go. But I will tell you the freakiest thing ever is where you actually see something, and then you always, if you're like me, I always try to, um, I'm the, the skeptic in me, tries to make logical sense of it. Well, sure. Uh, so, I, you know, I look for, you know, and I'm going, that just could not have just happened. I mean, as recently as... Uh, in the last three or four years that I have lived in the home where I live, and it's so funny because I moved to this particular home and, and bought this home and um, did not know the, the the history of the area. That, and didn't, started, that didn't come with the seller's report or anything no, like that? No, like, it didn't. And it was so funny because later, right. No, I actually started experiencing jiggling of my the door handle in uh, my bedroom door. And um, I couldn't sleep at night because I would hear it, somebody like twisting it and I would wake up and it, and it was, it was so uh, alarming. I would get up and I would walk around with uh, my gun <laughs> looking for somebody that might be in my house and um, um, never did find anything. And then later I started talking to some local historians and telling them the area where I live and they were started to tell me some stories and I'm going, oh my God, that all makes sense now. I'm living on a, what was once a Native American uh, village, side of a village, not okay. only once, but twice in history. And some of the neighbors supposedly had dug up graves. So, you know, maybe it's been, you know, it's, it's real hard to build a subdivision and, and construction in anywhere in America without bumping into something that used to be there. Right. And, and so, you know, it happened. But for some reason, paranormal activity is heightened in people that are considered sensitive or what they call empath, an empath. And I happen to be an empath. And so sometimes I'm more uh, susceptible to um, paranormal activity, or at least I feel like I am. It, it's, it's like it, it finds you somehow. Sure. Uh, but anyhow, um, you know, and even and over the years, you know, 
for you ask me, when did this next one start? It, yeah. it didn't, it never stopped. That's the point. It never stopped. It didn't matter whether we went to another home, we lived in another home, or, um, you know, even as an adult, the best way I know to just to, to make sense of something that doesn't make any sense, I guess, is to say, have you ever heard of someone who says that they're haunted? It, meaning that, you know, they feel like that there's some sort of attachment that's just with them all the time. Yeah. And it's not that I feel like that there's an attachment with me all the time. I just feel like that I have a heightened sensitivity to otherworldly phenomena and phenomenon that other people may not. Um, have you, now, have you had, do you feel that there's any entities in particular uh, that have stuck with you or, you know, things you recognize, or do you just feel that you go to a place, you see a couple of weird things, you hear more weird things, like maybe you are hearing echoes of what happened? Or do you think that there are some entities who have maybe, you know, they're like, well, hey, look, Sydney can hear us. Let's, you know, try to say something to her. Um, th- that would be kind of like a, a medium. That is, a, I will tell you that um, I, I, right now at this moment, I, I have been told before by a psychic that they uh, thought that there was something attached to me. And I, I did not receive that well. Um, and I kind of brushed it off because it's easier to be in denial. Then, you know, but um, I don't necessarily think that I have anything that's with me right now, but I will tell you that there are instances where I can go into a place and yes, I can sense the past of what's going on there. I can, it's called also clear audience where I can actually um, hear past conversations. It sounds kind of like it's in a radio where it's sometimes it's hard to make out the words. Mm-hmm. But there are times when, yes, I have gone into places and I can tell you um, what that person is wearing, what they looked like, details about their past and that kind of thing. So, but I will tell you, I should tell you this. When I was 15 years old, um, I had a near-death experience, one of those NDEs. Okay. Uh, And I was in a uh, car wreck, a very bad car wreck. I was on my way home from babysitting a lady's children that I went to church with, and I had never traveled on her um, road. It, you know, this is, like I said, this is rural Mississippi, so this is very different sure. than other other places in the U.S., and so, um, you know, the, the road that she lived on had these little country farm bridges without any rails on them. And I was traveling home from her house. It was around 10 o'clock. It was very, very dark. There were not any um, street lights and those type of things, uh, you know. So and there's just, no GPS or anything like that. To make, nope, right. nope. And you just had to be very careful. Well, I came upon that little bridge very, very soon very fast and the road was so narrow it was just a little rock road a gravel road and all of a sudden I felt the right side of my car going over that bridge I had no time to stop to swerve over nothing and uh, you know the weight of the car turned upside down and um, it fell 30 to 40 feet. Oh, man. Um, into water or like? Into water, into a small country, a little creek that was only about probably five foot uh, deep. 
But um, when your car is submerged upside down and you're hanging upside down, the water comes in very quickly. So all of the windows were broken in the car. I had no time to take a breath and all of the water rushed in very quickly. And I opened my eyes, couldn't see anything, of course, because there was, you could feel the sand from the the red mud. You've heard of Mississippi red mud clay dirt? Oh, sure. Oh, yeah, it was all around me. So it was swirling everywhere. So I was just, you know, I was drowning immediately. So, um, you know, had the near-death experience, felt my soul leave my body, uh, witnessed the same tunnel, the same vision of light, all of these things that you've read about. Now, did you have the near-death experience like while you were in the car or was this at the hospital later? Okay, so. Oh, no, 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 no. So you, so we're driving on the bridge. The right side of the car goes over the bridge, falls 30 to 40 feet. You're upside down. Oh, yeah. The car is five feet in the water, stuck in the mud. The water comes in. You start drowning. Now, is it the water or what's, I mean, what do you think is killing you? Is it, is it the water or is it a concussion or no, is it? No, it's because I'm, it's because I'm drowning. So you can't. I okay. am. No, I'm underneath the water. I cannot breathe. Um, I can't open my mouth. And so I'm drowning. And um, anyhow, it, it, it all happened very, very quickly. After that particular incident happened, uh, you know, I felt like that special abilities that I may have had, sensitivity or whatever, being an empath, being a clairvoyant with multiple different abilities, I did feel a sense that that was richer or more heightened, we'll say, after that particular incident. And, you know, and this is something I've heard repeatedly from people who have had near-death experiences. But so when you went over, you know, so if you saw the tunnel, you saw the light, you, you got over there. What happened once, you know, you got to that side? Well, I was traveling in the light and I heard, uh, you know, I felt my soul leave my body. It's, it's felt kind of like a vacuum. It's, it's real weird. If you've ever had a fainting spell, mm-hmm. it's, it's that type of sensation and uh, where you just feel like you're being just sucked completely out of your body. But I had that sensation. And I was in this just standing in this just enormous, enormous light, unlike it, there, there are no words to describe it. I could tell you that it's like the sun, but it's 10 times brighter than the sun, okay. uh, except it does not hurt your eyes. And it is, you feel completely bathed in it. It is pure, absolute, the purest form of love, if you can imagine that. And, um, there was a voice. I was, I was a little bit confused. I turned around and looked at my body and the car in the Creek. And, um, this male voice came out of the light and said, just walk toward the light. And I stood there and I was torn. I was going, but I'm leaving, you know, my brother, my mother, my dad. Well, you're Uh, 15 years old. You don't be dead yet. Yeah. Yeah. And so at that moment, At that moment, when I had that reluctance, at that moment is when I felt my legs were free. I was pinned under the steering wheel. The car hit the the bank of the creek Mm -hmm. so hard that it knocked the odometer back 10,000 miles. 
And there were huge welts that were about 10 inches long on both of my thighs where um, I had the impact of the car and me, you know, slamming against the, I was upside down, but slamming against the steering column. But at that very moment when that thought came in is when I felt free. And if you saw the pictures of this vehicle, you would definitely say <laughs> there's no way. Um, because it was completely, it was, it looked like it had been in an impounding, you know, in an impounding yard where yeah. they just flattened the cars. That's what it looked like. It looked like a pancake. So do you think you got some kind of assistance in getting out of there? Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. I washed out. We think possibly that I may have, my body may have washed out one of the windows and I was, uh, oh, and it was a race to the top. But I actually there for a moment because the moon was so bright and was shining down on the water. I thought that I was a ghost at that moment. Literally, I, I finally reached the top of the water and um, I was busting out trying to breathe, you know, and gasping for air and everything. And um, um it was so bright. I was going, oh, my. of course, I was crying. I mean, you know, uh, it yeah, was you, you just, horrific. You just, you just died. Yes, I just died. That's and a, so that's a, that's a good I, reason I, to cry. You know, people yes. cry over a lot less stuff than that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I was I, I literally thought, oh, my, did I die? Am I a ghost? Did I die? You know, I don't know. I'm here. So I'm looking around and I could. Oh, yeah, I'm definitely here because things are starting to hurt and I'm starting to feel pain. And I had to pull myself up a 30 to 40 foot embankment. There was no tree limbs on it, no grass roots or anything to grab hold of to pull myself. And I weighed about 125 pounds. And so I used my fingers, uh, my fingernails to uh -huh. dig into the side of the bank and to pull because my shoulder felt like I thought that maybe my arm was like hanging off of my body it was oh, man it, yeah it was hurting really bad and so I did this and managed to get up the embankment and just laid in a field for just a minute just to maybe five minutes and uh, cried and breathed and that kind of thing and was thinking oh my god how am I going to walk back to this lady's house and uh, all those type of things so um, when I did make it back to her home, she thought that she was looking at a zombie right. when she opened the front door, <laughs> when she opened the front door and all of my fingernails were just blood was just pouring from my fingers, um, from my face was covered in blood. And um, the one thing that was we never could figure out is uh, even though I, I got out of the creek alive. And I was drowning as far as we, I mean, I obviously did not open my mouth um, or, or take in water or did I or what exactly happened because I kept asking her for a mirror and she didn't want to give me a mirror. And I said, please, I need a mirror. Please give me a mirror. I want to see, you know, I could feel something around my mouth. And there was a leech attached to the inside of my bottom lip. Oh. Yeah. So um, did I actually take in water during that incident or no? Right. Uh, don't know. You took in a leech. I took in a leech. Yeah, a leech. That's, something I, well, now, that's gross. Did that uh, now experience, you know, had a near-death experience. I mean, that's going to change anybody's life. 
But has that made it into any of your books? Like, did you, have had any of your characters had to experience that same kind of thing? I have not. I have not written about that. Mostly what I've written about up to this point has been um, ghostly encounters. Um, there were so many of those stories to, to investigate and and to write about. And um, I have a long project list to go. But I will tell you that starting next year, I do want to write about a different angle of supernatural suspense. And it would be along those lines of what I experienced. So, um, you know, when you when I start writing about some of my own personal experiences, it um, as a writer sometimes, and you may hear, you may have talked to, to others as well, it's, um, you become raw. And you, you know, you really have to relive certain moments. And sometimes it's, um, you know, it's rough. And, and uh, but anyway, so, you know, I'm, I'm trying to prepare myself for possibly going in that direction in the next few months because people have asked and they, they want to, uh, they want to know more about that. They want to know how that that change has changed my life and, and those type of things. And it, and it really has. Well, sure. Well, that's, I mean, that's something where you say, I say, write what you know. And if you know about a near-death experience, like most people, or even, you know, things like, things that kind of trauma, that kind of accident, you know, most people haven't been in a, in a life-threatening car accident. Most people haven't had a chance to glimpse something. Most people, you know, like my house might be full of spirits right now. I can't see anything. So, <laughs> you know, so I would not be, I'd write about that from the perspective of pure fantasy, because whatever it would be coming from my head would be conjecture. Have you had anything in your, like we're talking about sensitive or empathic, when you've had those kind of a, a clairaudient experiences, has that any, anything you've seen or a conversation you've overheard or maybe an entity that you've communicated with or, you know, has that inspired a character or anything in your book? Um, not really, but I will tell you something that happened. Uh, well, now, let's see. Anybody that I've seen. Now, we'll tell you. Now, let me back up. All right. The haunted, the haunted history series that I started. That is do. It's just a little haunted history narrative. It is um, where I've researched certain locations that are um, haunted, and I've done a lot of historic research on it. There have been times. Now, you will see some of those. You may see some of me referencing, some of my referencing of those particular uh, entities in that series. There's okay. volume one and volume two. I will tell you that volume two that just came out a few weeks ago, um, I almost hung my hat up on the, the ghostly type of thing because there was a location that I did do a little bit of research and visited, and it there is something there that is not, um, it was not, it's non-human, which means it's not necessarily a ghost. A ghost is the spirit of something, of someone that once walked the earth in human form. Right. But what's going on over there uh, is, is not human, never has been human. And it took me about three days to get over uh, just being there. And, um, Oh, it was, it was, it was awful. And, uh, of course the, the people that owned the property that lived there, um, she contacted me and asked me if I would mind, uh, 
going back and go inside the home because I was just doing a perimeter sweep. Sure. And just meeting with, I declined. Oh. I, ab- I absolutely declined. And um, there's just no way. I, I just, I, the minute, the minute I stepped onto the porch of this place, I mean, I can still see it in my mind talking to you about it. The, the elderly woman that the vision of her, but she was, she was taking on a human type, you know, impression or appearance, but it was anything but that, but that. And then they had lots of other things going on. They had the shadow, shadow person that was, that would stalk you day and night. So, um, I was done. (laughs) Sure. What do you think that old woman was? Or I mean, what was it? Was it malevolent? Yes. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And the place had, um, there had been death at the place, not once, but twice within the last couple of years. Um, one of those was a murder. The other was a suicide. So it already had some really um, negative energy there. And, well, um, and what do you tell those owners, something like that? You're like, hey, this might be a good situation for you to default on your loan. Or this might be a good situation <laughs> well, for you to get don't, the hell well, out. They don't, they don't live there anymore. They've been gone for a long time, and they contacted me wanting me to just, they just wanted to see if I, you know, you know, a lot of people contact me because they're curious and they want to see if if I pick up on things. And it's frightening at times when I go to a place and I'm picking up on certain things and I'm sending this person messages and then she's confirming it right in the middle. Both of us are typing at the same time. So there's no way that we have a chance to, you know, give each other information. So I'm hitting the button on the messenger. And as I'm hitting my button, she's hitting her button. And there's there it is. And you're just, you just can't believe it. It's just amazing. But um, I will tell you that there has been a very joyous incident where I was able to help someone who was grieving very bad and who had been grieving for the last couple of um, years pretty heavily um, over a family member that had passed away. And um, I'm, I ended up meeting with that person and um, I was able to communicate uh, with a deceased relative and um it was very nice because she has some peace and she really needed that peace. Now, did the deceased relative contact you or the person who was bereaved? No. What happened was I was at a radio station doing a, uh, an interview about a year or so ago. And uh, uh, after the interview was over, I met with the sales organization and we were all sitting in there. They were interested in hearing about my books and what I do because I thought they thought that was interesting, you know. So I was sitting in there and I was talking to them and I could immediately see from this woman's face. I knew something was troubling her soul and it went very deep. And um, she got an opportunity to talk to me one on one and um, she wanted to ask me, did I believe in mediums or the ability um, of people to you know, to contact the dead. And so I hesitated for a moment. And then I told her, she asked me again, and she was a little forceful the second time because she really wanted to know. And uh, I told her, yes, but to be very careful about that and don't give your money to 1-800-CALL-PSYCHIC, you know. Right, right. Dan Warwick can't help you out. 
yeah, don't don't do that. Uh, I said, don't. There there are people out there that claim to be something that they're not, and they're there to take your money and deceive you. And please don't do that. But anyway, once I left there, I couldn't get this lady off my mind, and it went on for weeks and weeks. And I'm not kidding; it just kept on and on. Something kept bothering me and saying, "You need to contact that lady. You need to call her." Well, I woke up one morning and I called the radio station and I said, "Can you tell me who the lady was? Her name? I can't remember which one she was. I can't remember her name. And will you give her my number and tell her this is Sydney?" And I would like to talk to her. I mean, I had not as much hung up the phone that my phone was ringing. She called me back that quickly. Oh, wow. Okay. And I told her, I said, listen, you know, there's something that I may be able to help you with, but I'd like to talk to you. And I could tell that she was just wanted to talk to somebody so bad. So I agreed to meet with her in a few days and I drove over to her home and I told her, I said, I can't make you any guarantees, but here's what I would, you know, let, let's try to sit down and talk. And uh, do you have anything that belonged to uh, your relative? And she did. And I said, I may need it to pick up on his energy, but yeah. maybe not. It depends. And I said, but we'll just see. And um, so I went over there and I was talking to her and he came through very, very quickly. Um, I get mental images of him and could hear and I could hear him clearing his throat. He um, and I could see him rubbing his head. He was, you know, people have little quirks, habits, many things they do. And before he would say something, he would always do this. He would go, And I kept hearing him clear his throat over and over and over. And that's always weird because, like, he doesn't have a throat to clear anymore. Uh, No, but I could hear. And it's residual energy, if you want to, you know, call it that. But it's really strange. But how it works. And, you know, when I told her, don't ask me how that this happens because I can't explain it. I really don't know. But I said there's things. And so, anyway, she wanted to. She said. I said, why are you still, what is causing you this pain? She said the the night that he died, he had called me and told me, I really like to see you. There's something I want to tell you. And I want you to come over to see me. And she says, oh, well, I can't right now, but I'll come over Sunday. Well, he died that night. Oh. And he had Parkinson's. And she Mm -hmm. says, I have not forgiven myself for this. And it is just killing me. So, you know, I didn't know all of the details. I just knew that something would not leave me alone until I contacted her. And even though we're still in contact with each other, and she told me after that was over, and I spent about an hour and a half with her, um, she told me, she said, do you know I have not been uh, upset and crying and all that. She said, you just don't know what I've been through for the last two years. I said, I, I said, I can imagine. So there are good times when I feel like that I'm able to help someone, but you, it's, you know, but I, you know, I, like I told her, I can't make you any promises, but we can, I'll try. Yeah. But he, he wanted, he, it was as much him as it was her, the man that the relative wanted to contact he wanted to communicate with her because he knew she was grieving she's blaming herself 
she has this horrible guilt that she's dealing with. So um, that was a very nice moment for me on the flip side of dealing with the paranormal or the supernatural or the unexplained, however you want to define it. Well, do you get ever, you ever get annoyed with like friends who are trying to do that? Who are like, we're trying to say like, hey, can you try to talk to my uncle, you know, Jim or whatever <laughs> and tell me where he buried the gold? Nah, I just laugh. Okay. I just laugh and tell them it doesn't work that way. Oh. Because if it really worked, if it was that easy, I wouldn't tell you where the gold was. I would go get it myself. Right, there you go. That's that's a good way to put it. Like, if you could do it, like, why, you know? I'm not telling you. I'll go get it myself. That's absolutely right. So, okay. So, so if, you, if they want to read about that story where you encountered the malevolent energy, that's going to be in the Haunted History series? Yes, that's volume two. And then this other, this newest edition that's just come out, The Devil's Board, is a book that came out um, a few weeks ago. It hit number one on Amazon very well, quickly. Right. I was yeah, I was proud of that. Um, it's a Ouija board story about some kids that got to play them with a Ouija board back in 1987 at a uh, community college. And, uh, you know, what started out as a game turned into something completely different they ended up contacting a, a malevolent spirit and um i don't want to give away the end at all but i will tell you that it is inspired by true events all the names have been changed and i'll just say that amber simmons just was determined that she was not going to give up playing with that board even after she had been warned multiple times and i'll tell you that during the time that i was doing the research for that book um I didn't really have anything. It's real funny. Well, how'd you hear about it? So when you find a story that you want to fictionalize or, or dramatize, a story like this that, you know, that something happened to some people, like how do you hear about it in the first place? Well, it's it's stories that are within my circle. You know, there's things that I've already known about growing up that I knew about. That it's so strange how, like you and I were saying earlier, you feel like it's your destiny almost because you've got... Here you are writing supernatural suspense and you're going, well, maybe that's why that all of these things happened to me, you know, way right. back when. Um, because they're, my God, they're great stories. Um, but this particular one, this story is still talked about on that campus. So it's not like that I had to go digging for it. There's kids that still, of course, I changed the names and this and the location because I don't want people going to the college campus and that kind of thing. But I will tell you, I did visit the college campus. Uh, when I was researching the book, I went back into the same dorm where this all took place, where this happened. Is it like a campus in the, so is it by you or is, I mean, how, like, how did, like when you said the stories in your circle, is it something where one of your friends was like, you could not believe this crazy thing that happened to me in college or you know, I you know they come in and no. say like you know. So where did you hear about the story in the first place? Like, well, I was on the campus myself uh, at one particular time, at a much younger age, so I knew of the story. And then, of course, I had to do lots of research into it in order to write about it. But the as far as the the kids that were involved, I call them kids. The students that young adults right. that were involved in this. Um, they went on, you know, and then there's an epilogue in the book that tells you a little bit about how they moved on in their lives and that kind of thing. What happened to them after this. But it is a, a place in the South. 
um, and I did visit the campus and interviewed several people. Now, when you're writing a story that takes place in the late 1980s, you know, you find yourself trying to put in like cultural references and things like that. Like is somebody like a huge, like I guess 1988 or 1987, you know, would somebody be a huge fan of Duran Duran or something like, you know, what, what right. like how do you set the stage for 1987? Well, the, the, the hot thing then was Whitesnake. Whitesnake, Steel of the Night was one of the biggest, you know, sure. it was a top 40 hit. You remember, oh, you remember. I'm, I know that song. Uh, right. I mean, you're uh, you're you're probably younger than me. I believe you are. But you, you remember the song, I'm sure. And Tawny Catane, who was, oh, what was his name? Um, well, Tawny Catane was married to uh, David Coverdale. That's it. Yes. And he was the lead singer of Whitesnake. But that was that era. And, you know, and Witchboard was a, she was uh, um, one of the lead actresses in Witchboard which was a Ouija board story. And that was big during that time. So oh, it's yeah. no wonder, it's no wonder these kids were playing this. These young adults were doing this. That's funny. Cause a couple of weeks ago, or about a month ago now, I was at the Michigan paranormal conference and I met Robert Murch who does the, uh, he's got his like Ouija board museum and he had a little display out and he had one of the, the Ouija boards from Witchboard, And I made some snarky, Tony, oh, Tony, wow. yeah, I made some snarky Tony Katane joke, right? And he's like, he's like, oh, she's actually very nice. <laughs> or something, you know, he like went through, he's like, yeah, I met her at a bunch of conventions. She's actually a wonderful, you know, because you always hear stories and stuff. But like, I'm like, oh, great. So that's just funny you're talking about her because I just had made a snarky remark about Tony Katane within the last month. Yeah. And, and she, you know, and I had to look her up. You know, when I started doing this research on this book, I had to look her up because I remember Witchboard was one of my favorites, and I just loved, uh, I loved White Snake and all that too. Oh yeah. But you remember, which you probably don't remember, but um, <laughs> Friday the Thirteenth is uh, there is a scene in the Devil's Board with Spencer, who is the atheist young adult kid uh, student. Uh, in the story, and it's so funny because Spencer was in, in real life. He he was he was a character, but uh, and I mean that in a fun type sure. of way. Um, but he um, he was sitting in his room and he's watching. Um, let's see, what was it? Uh, the final something with um, Jason Burries, Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah, sure, Friday the Thirteenth. Man, that that. Those were the days when horror was horror. I, I'm goodness. Sure. I mean, I, I remember I would be paranoid for weeks after going to see Halloween or Freddy Krueger or Jason and um, Friday the Thirteenth. So, so you try to put in little references to that and everything to try yeah. to, to set the scene. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. So there is a scene there where he does have an incident where he's watching that, but you know, and he didn't believe in any of that. He he thought it was all just a bunch of hogwash, as they say. Uh, but um, anyhow, he they all before the story's over, they all end up um, convinced, and they. It's so funny because in this little town. They're in real life. This is real life stuff. The same, the little Catholic nun that they go to see, that they're asking for prayer and asking for help because they, you know, unlocked something. They don't know what to do. That stuff happens. It even happens to this day. I had people contacting me 
when I started doing this research, just totally freaked me out. Who told me, you know, we went to visit uh, Sister Williams and uh, I went to ask her for some help because I stayed in this dorm room, blah, blah, blah. And what blew me away during the research on the devil's board is that there was a guy who contacted me and told me on, we were messaging and he told me that he lived in a particular dorm and so I let him talk. I didn't tell him anything. I don't ever give away the information, you know. And all of a sudden, he tells me it was down, you know, down the hall to the left. And mm-hmm. it was the room right before the end on the left. And I went, oh, my God, that's the room. And so I let him. And so I got him to talk some more and tell me about some things that what was happening. And he hit what he he was there in the 90s. After okay. the fact, three or, three or four years after this happened, and so I got him to talk a little bit, and finally at the end, when he started, when he finished up, he was telling me, "I said, um, sir, you just—that's the room that the devil's board is based on." He just—he said, "No way." I said, "That's it. That is it." And he just—and I said, "Oh my God!" He said, "Do you know that for an entire semester?" Uh, you know, I was in this funk and I ended up going to see this Catholic priest and I was having a not Catholic priest, Catholic nun. And I was having all of these wretched, horrific, you know, personality changes and things. And I did not understand why. And I just it that just blew me away. I just it, it's everything that he told me that he experienced is what Amber Simmons went through in real life in 1987. Same thing. And he and I did not know each other prior to that conversation. He's much younger than me. We never were in school. We, you know, never knew each other. So it was just, it was unbelievable. It just blew me away. So something was in that room. They brought some, I'm telling you, they, they resurrected something. And then later on, after the research, you know, over the summer and stuff, as I was writing the story, I had other people contacting me who told me that they had used the board on campus. I mean, these this story, the story of Ryan Banks is still prevalent there, and it's now become like a little ghostly legend that people tell at that particular college campus. So, you know, but I will tell you that the police department there, and, and you'll read about that in the devil's board, they do not like these students using that stuff and doing that because it, you know, even if there's nothing to it, and they say, you know, none of this makes any logical sense. Did you see the Bye Bye Man this year when that came out? I did not. Because that's a similar kind of thing with these college kids. That actually, it's based on a story that takes place in Sun Prairie, Wisconsin, only about like five miles from where I'm right now. But um, no, it's a. Uh, it's the same thing. Kids are playing the Ouija board and they talk to something weird. And then it comes in. And that's another one that's based on a, a story that a guy says actually happened to him when he was in college here at the University of Wisconsin. So it's those college kids playing around with the devil's board that they're getting themselves in trouble. Yeah. Crazy. And if people want to uh, read the devil's board and check out some more of L. Sidney Fisher's supernatural suspense thrillers based on true events, where's the best place they can go do that? They can go to Amazon.com or they can get all the direct links to my stories through my website at lsydneyfisher.com. 
and it looks like you can find out the Bradford Haunting series that's in there. Looks like there's a couple of books in there, and uh, Haunted History, which is based on it sounds like places you've been, weird things you've seen, and then the New Devil's Board, based on well, sounds like a, a fun well, maybe a scary ghost story, but fun for us because we don't have to live through it. Right, a fun read to check out what happened to those kids who were listening to White Snake and watching Friday the Thirteenth and playing the Ouija board just like college kids. We're doing in 1987. Sydney, thank you very much for your time today. It was really fun to get to know you, to listen to your stories. And everybody, make sure you go check out his stuff at lsydneyfisher.com. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Mike. So thanks again to L. Sydney Fisher for coming on the show and talking to us. It was a real pleasure. And uh, I like your southern twang. I love that. That's always fun. It's always fun to talk to people with interesting accents. And we did in the beginning, she said she was living in Elvis country. And we talk about how people have had Elvis sightings. I mean, so we know that Elvis is not dead. He's out there somewhere. You know, a great movie about that is there's a movie called Bubba Hotep, where Bruce Campbell. um, Yeah, we've brought that up so many times on this show because it's so relevant. It is. It's always (laughs) relevant. Bruce Campbell plays the king, Elvis. Uh, the idea that he switched out. He was sick of being so famous and stuff like that. So he switched pl- places with somebody else in the 1970s. And it's Elvis living in a retirement home and fighting, uh, well, fighting like an evil mummy. So uh, it's definitely the kind of thing you're going to want to see. Anyway, so that was the inspiration. Not Bubba Hotep, but the uh, the inspiration behind the song was actually the real sightings of Elvis <laughs> that people had uh, after the king had passed away. And so this week's song is The King's Not Dead. Well, the king's not dead, baby. You know the king ain't dead. He faked his OD on the party, flew to Brazil instead. And I saw Elvis Presley at the Burger King in Kalamazoo. Just wanted some peace and quiet And the double whopper too Yeah, the king's not dead, baby Hell no, the king ain't dead He's on borrowed time Cause of organized crime After Nixon made him a fed Yeah, I saw Elvis Presley As an extra in Home Alone When a sweet turtleneck Under the beard he had grown now give it to me Well, the king's not dead, baby Oh, now the king's not gone Miss Fellas' middle name above his grave So we know it's a big con, yeah I saw Elvis Presley Outside a store in Nashville He was looking for his microphone Cause he got some time to kill Don't you know that I saw Elvis Presley Riding on a unicorn Doing karate kicks with big boots and it's alright, mama, you don't have to mourn. Oh, not anymore. The king's not dead. Thank you for listening to today's episode. 
You can find us online at othersidepodcast.com. Until next time, see you on the other side. We can't forget him. We never forget him. And we're talking about Dr. Ned. Thank you, Dr. Ned. He's at the Patreon level where he gets a shout out in every single episode of the See You on the Other Side podcast. And we want to shout out to our entire Patreon community because we can't yes. forget them as well. If you are our Patreon, we love you. Number one. That's, let, let's get that out of the way. We do love you. And make sure you keep an eye on the Patreon messages coming in because we have a special uh, assignment this month that we yes. discussed during our paranormal hangout last month. And that is... We're going to vote on a movie for everybody to watch, and then we're going to talk about it in this month's Hangout. That's right. So it, it's still not too late. If you want to be part of that, uh, watch a movie. It's, it's going to be something that everybody can see, that they can get easily streamed or whatever. We're not going to pick something like an obscure like 1940s Italian horror movie that you can't find oh. anywhere. I know. I know. The, the, the film snob in me really wants to do that. <laughs> so, And we all talk about it and stuff. And um, so we're working on the movie choices right now. But if you want to get in on something like that, you can join our Patreon community. And Wendy, where can they do that? They can do that at othersidepodcast.com slash donate. Oh, hell yeah. All right. So <laughs> check out the Patreon community. We're going to have a movie watch and stuff like that coming up this month. And, Spooky uh, movie. Yeah. And so thank you to uh, Dr. Ned and the rest of the patrons for being awesome. And we'll see you guys on the other side. Thanks, everybody. Do 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 do